Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, the destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. In the studio, Mr. Jack Piatelli. Jack, what's going on, man? How we doing? Had to get up real early this morning for uh, to get in here because we had uh, early, early uh, podcast, but uh, all good. There was no traffic today, surprisingly. Oh, I did. this is the part where we always talk about how bad the traffic is. I know. And, and I get to laugh. Cause I'm at home. Look, but uh, I'm, my do- thing. I'm, do- I'm, I'm doing fine. Uh, you know, I was expecting a lot of traffic. So rode right in here and our producer, yes, didn't have any traffic either today. So we came in, we we're in a good mood. Uh, no traffic, no one throwing the figure at us or anything on the way in. So that was nice. No one trying to run us off the road, but how are you doing with the knee? Yeah, it's, it's bad. We just talked about it. I feel like we talk about it every podcast. And I, I if we do that for a year, I'm going to die. So we yeah, shouldn't I think do our that. listeners might die too. Yeah, it's there. They're going to get sick of my whining. So we're gonna, not even going to do it. Uh, right. I will say another person that never has traffic in addition to me, because we live in a much better state called New Hampshire, <laughs> yeah. north of Massachusetts, is our guest, Mr. Chris Hetler, the athletic director and head coach of Dairyfield Lacrosse, as well as a Tomahawks coach. Hey, how's it going, man? How we doing? Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Appreciate it. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. New Hampshire, I, this actually marks the, this marks the year where I turn over, where I've actually now hit the mark and lived in New Hampshire as long as I lived in upstate New York. So I didn't see that coming when I moved here, but found a home, man. It's, yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's a great place to be and really enjoyed my time here. Coaching at the Dairyfield School, which ironically is, I think, legit two miles away from where I live. We were, Chris and I were joking. I know that sounds like nothing to everyone that lives like in, in Boston or like lives in a community where everybody lives close. But if you're two miles away in New Hampshire, you might as well be in the next room because we measure time and driving distance differently up here. I think, uh, I, but what half an hour commuter? I live out out Exeter, Brentwood area. So yeah, I have my coffee in the morning. I'm on the road. But yeah, to me, that's to a lot of people that's normal up here. It's pretty great. But you know, Dairyfield, you guys won the championship this past year again. What number is that for you guys in Division Two? That's our, in Division Two. that was our, our fifth championship, seventh overall. So, yeah, it was great. It was really good. Another, another great matchup with uh, Coach Vischer and Portsmouth out there. Came down to the wire. It was a lot of fun. That was, it, was, it was a game that was a little rough for a while, and then it, and it really picked up towards the end there and, and going to double overtime. It was wild. I mean, even seeing the, the highlights, and I've actually talked to a couple guys. Uh, I've worked with jo- Joe Pru. To who is a uh, Prolax Customs on Instagram, and he uh, he did some championship heads for us for Hopkinton, and he his son RJ plays for you guys. He I think he's, he's on his way to to committing, getting recruited. Um, Within the next, we're we're anticipating in the next couple of months that RJ is going to start getting some looks, and it'll depend on he's a he's a really good he's an academic first kid too, so he's going to have a lot of options available to him. So uh, yeah, exciting time for RJ, and uh, yeah, no Joe's been a tremendous friend to. Not only Dairyfield, but I, I think basically New Hampshire lacrosse in general. I mean, we, as it's hard, it's hard to find guys up here that are good stick stringers. What I love is like when you and I were growing up, right? Stick dying was a good thing, man. You get the yep. written eye, you get all that kind of stuff, right? And he's brought it back. I mean, it, it's, it's awesome to see so many guys, even at the college level, a lot of guys are, are using his sticks out there and it's, it's pretty neat to see. So things come, things come full circle. So yeah, they do. I see more and more players using dyed heads out there at, yeah. at, at every level. It's so true. Chris, every year I see Derry Field is in the championship. Oh, they won another championship. I don't know a lot about the school. Tell me sure. 
a little bit about the school and uh, what's uh, so special about Derry Field. And I know you've been there for a number of years, just became the AD, which is uh, a great move for you, but uh, want to learn more about the school. Sure. Absolutely. No, thanks for asking. We, so I came here in the fall of 2002. I graduated from Colgate. I had a biology degree and kind of didn't know the next steps, right? Didn't know if I want to go work in a lab, want to go out in the field and all that kind of stuff. My mom was a teacher, toured around New England, kind of looked at some different prep schools. I actually went up to Cardigan and uh, I interviewed there and I was, I was almost set to go there. And then they're like, yeah, Chris, we'd get up at 530 in the morning, take the kids over to breakfast. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I don't know if that's what I want to do as a 22 year old. And, <laughs> and then my, <laughs> and then my next stop, I came down to Dairy Field one day. They had a need for a science teacher. They said, coach, we'll, we'll have you, we'll have you help coach the lacrosse team. I got to be the Alpine coach. I've coached JV golf while I was here. I did middle school cross country, gotten to wear a lot of different hats while I was here. A lot of fun. It is a small school. It's a private day school. We have uh six through 12. We have about 415 kids total. So in the upper school, you, you do about probably like 290, you split that in half. There's only like 140 something boys in the school. So for a school our size, we've done, we've done really, really well. It wasn't always the case. We had to build it back up. After my first year here, we actually went down and played club for a little while to kind of build the numbers and enthusiasm back up again. And then both you guys know, being in the, in the area here, lacrosse in the early 2000s compared to where it is now night and day right it's because of guys like you it's because of all the the club programs that have spot uh sprung up back in the day if you had if you had a couple football guys and a couple guys that could pass and catch you were running through people right <laughs> and you could you could win a lot of games and now if if you got any flaws on the field you're gonna get exposed like you have to i mean kyle you can see at the at the division three level in new hampshire right like that are winning every year they are solid in the goal all the way up through the attack right and if you don't and that's i, I think it's a testament to all the programs up here from hooligans the four leaf the tomahawks hgr all the programs down in massachusetts jack you've done an, an unbelievable job with all the programs you've been involved with and it's just made it's it's made lacrosse here a really special thing in new hampshire and dairy fields just it's it's been great to be a part of that i kind of found a home thought i'd be here a couple of years and 22 years later, here I am. So it's an academic first school, but we're we're really proud of what we've done with the lacrosse program here. So it's all boys. Is that correct? No, it is co-ed. What is is co-ed? Yep. So that's what I was saying. So kids in the upper school, you split that in half. Oh, Um, I get Yes. And for a school our size, we offer, we offer in the spring, we've got baseball, lacrosse, track, crew, tennis. Uh, we offer an independent sport program. We pretty much offer everything except football. But uh, so yeah, we're, we're, we've got a really, uh, compete for for the athletes for our program, but we we've done a pretty good job of, of maintaining a varsity and JV program. We average about little little under forty kids in the program every year, and but I think that's also a strength because we can we can give them that individual attention. We kind of practice as a program. I think I think Hopkinton does a similar thing where yeah. you know varsity and JV kind of kind of work together, and and so you get you get the coach you get the best coaching across the board. It's not like if you're on JV, you never get, you're basically getting the same instruction. So it, it can also be an advantage for our program here. I think that's the way everyone should do it. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause you're developing all your players. Those, those JV guys are really your, your, could be your superstars down the road. Right. Well, and and you, you don't know until you start working with them. You've got a lot of coaches who have players at the end of the bench and they never work with them because they don't think they have any potential. My, my philosophy is any guy that's on the bench, any guy that's on the field has, potential yeah. to contribute somehow, some way. So 
I think well, what cost lends itself to doing that. It's it's as I've as I've taken over as athletic director, it's kind of a philosophy I've been trying to get all of my programs to do is sort of, you know, think of it as a program, not like this is the varsity team, this is the team, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of, yeah, sure. Just like a classroom teacher, right? You've got to differentiate instruction by ability and different things like that. But there's no reason you can't be teaching the same thing. And I also think it gets more buy-in from the kids, right? Like they feel like, hey man, the head coach sees me, he's on it, he's He's passionate about me getting better, right? And it, it, you're almost in this day and age. You gotta, you gotta basically re-recruit your kids every year, right? Because there's so many different things that they can be involved in. And I agree with you. I think running it as a program is definitely easier for lacrosse, but it, it's a way that a lot of ads should be looking at all their sports programs. Do the students are they required to play a sport? We do. We do have a two like like a lot of traditional prep schools. We we do have a two sport requirement. We don't do a traditional gym class. We do have health and you know uh, health and wellness classes, but uh, they get their their physical activity credit through through doing two sports a year. And and it, it is getting. I will admit, it is getting harder and harder. I mean, I I truly do believe it, especially for a school our size. I think it's important for kids to be doing different activities. But as you guys know, it, it's hard not to have a stick in your hand throughout throughout the entire year. But I do like the way all the club programs have kind of said, look, in the fall, we're kind of going to tailor our programming so that you can play soccer, you can play football. We're not going to make you make a choice where, unfortunately, I'm watching a lot of our soccer players, baseball players, things like that, where they're being for basketball, they're being forced to kind of make a choice because they're running programming throughout the week, right? Whereas lacrosse has kind of said, hey, we're going to let you guys do your thing. We're going to run our club programming on the weekends. We, we think it's important. I, I hope lacrosse doesn't go in that direction because I think you guys have seen I, I, some of my best some of my best athletes play soccer, some of them play basketball, and I hate to see them make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching the other day, uh, there was a, a YouTube video of the, just like private alert for Hopkinton because I coached there, and uh, there's an interview with the 11-1 and soccer team, and I'm like, those are all my yeah. guys. But it's it's the, the bleed in the crossover if you have a program that encourages that, I think that helps you more than hurts you. I think there, I mean, yeah, there, there are coaches at the school that like are, why aren't you playing baseball this year to a kid? And he's like, oh, lacrosse looks way more fun. Like you kind of, kind of have to make it look attractive and make it look fun. And, and it is like, that's a big part of building a program, even through youth. I mean, it's, it's a little harder on, on your end because you're at uh, a school where that's not exactly easy to middle do. You could, oh, we have a middle school program though. Yeah. So, you can you can build from there. I, I think doing doing stuff in town and stuff and getting first looks at those kids and and eyeballs and and coaching and systems and things like that. I think that goes a long way. I mean, I, I know I talked to the Bell Hill coach Sullivan last season. He was like, "We run the same thing with our youth kids as we do in our in our prep program because we prepare them at a base level. Then we expand. Then we expand. Then we expand. I don't know how you do anything differently, right? Like how." I feel like in New Hampshire too, like you need that connection with your guys. How, how have you been able to build that over the last decade or so? Yeah. Well, I think, I think for me, it starts, I was a classroom teacher for 17 years, right? I was a sixth and eighth grade science teacher. So, and even now still, I kind of, I kind of build it into my daily schedule, right? I go have lunch with the kids every day, right? And it's sort of a prep school thing where like the teachers, you know, we, especially in the middle school, they're all eating lunch. The teachers are in there together. And I just, I go and sit and I get to, I get to know the kids. Right. And I kind of the same thing, right? Like, Hey man, you ever, you ever try lacrosse? Like it's kind of fun. Right. And then you get the yeah. gear out, you show them the gear. We do the gear orders in the fall, right. Th- those kind of things. But 
again, just sort of that the connections like like you were talking about, you've got to make the, those connections with the kids early on and then show them you're truly invested. I mean, I, I don't fault anybody who none of us get into coaching for the money, right? Like there's a lot of time, there's a lot of things that go into it. But if you're going to run a program, I, I think you have to have that love for it. You got to like being around kids and wanting to see them succeed and, and getting the best out of them. And so that started in the classroom, continued to to try and get out to see the kid if they're playing soccer in the fall, if they're running cross country, if they're doing other things. I think that makes a huge difference, right? When you're a coach and you show up, they're like, hey, coach showed up to my meet today. That's pretty cool, right? And so you kind of have little touch points with them that way throughout the season too. And then kind of like you said, I think the days of just being a lacrosse coach where you show up in March and, and you're done in June doesn't doesn't work anymore, right? We're, we're doing stuff. Uh, I'm staying in touch with my kids throughout the summer. We did a little mini camp in, in late July for all the new sixth, seventh and eighth graders, right? Where I told my varsity kids, I'm like, guys, this isn't, this isn't for you. This is here. You remember when you were younger, right? These are kids that are new coming into the school. Maybe they've never tried it before. We're out there. We got water balloons, right? We're blowing up watermelons. We're doing target practice, right? We took, we went bowling one day. So all these little things that kind of get kids excited about coming to Dairyfield and then, and then being part of the team is huge in building that. Uh, and you grew up in upstate New York, so you were exposed to the game at a very young age. It's a lot different when you, going from upstate to New Hampshire was like yeah. ghost town. It really was. Yeah, it's awful. You know, I, I, do, I despise oh. this analogy. No, it was. I mean, what are, what, it, it was, oh, man. I mean, I, and know. I know that was right around when you were. When you were <laughs> we're the know. same age. I know. You know I, I, I know. remember. But, yeah. uh, but it really was. I got yeah. here. It was nothing. Like, there really right. It wasn't. Like I said, it, it truly was. When we were playing some of those games, it was like, I remember back in the day when we were playing like Laconia and Kearsarge, it was like, dude, they had a couple big football players and they could, they could cradle and shoot. And it was like, we couldn't stop these guys. Cause like, we just didn't have the skill and stuff, but now a lot, a lot has changed. And yeah, I, I think more and more guys who that's honestly, that's the thing we need more in New Hampshire is yeah. I think we've done a great job of developing players. They've gone, we got a lot of guys that are playing in college. But job market, geography, other things, we haven't had a lot of those kids come back home. It, it's getting better. But honestly, that's what's going to change is right now, you know, their kids have a tough choice, right? Like they, they, if they're a high school coach, if they don't have a high school coach like you, they, they might be looking at prep schools and other places, right? Because they yeah. want the opportunity to play in college. We need more guys that have, that have played at a high level, have that IQ and knowledge to come back home. And, and that will take New Hampshire, I think, to the next, to the next level in terms of high school lacrosse. You can say that about any state in the country, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's not a lot of guys who are playing at a high level coming back to teach and coach right. because there's not a lot of money in no. teaching and coaching, especially the cost of education today, right? I, also, the expectations. I think the expectations around coaches have grown too, right? The, I mean, Kyle, you probably know. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if Deacon handles most of this, but like, I mean, the level of communication that is expected from coaches now and you're almost, they're almost expecting a college experience in terms of like sit down one-on-ones and how's my kid, how's my kid going to improve and what are you going to do for him in terms of, I enjoy that kind of stuff. But again, I've made a career out of this, right? There's a lot of guys that that's a big ask for, that's a big ask for them for what you're being paid when they have a full-time job on the outside. But, but my involvement in Tomahawks, my, that was part of my teaching contract here, right? All those things. And, and I really enjoy it. So like, to me, it was never work. But for a lot of people, they enjoy lacrosse, but like, that's just, they've got families, they've got a full-time job. It's parents and parents and kids are almost expecting a college level experience now in high school, which it pay and other things have not caught up with that yet. So yeah, yeah big challenge. 
Right. And especially if you're paying for an education in high school, the expectations go way up. Oh, for sure. Versus public schools. Yeah. It's the recruiting. Well, it's really the recruiting piece of it, right? Like, I think that's, that's the big piece is like, if you're going to make that commitment to go to a prep school, right? Where can that, where, where is that going to lead to, right? What's the, what's the outcome for that? And I, I do think that's an advantage that Dairyfield has is that we, we can play lacrosse at a really high level. And if you work hard in the classroom, it's going to open a lot of doors for you here in terms of that. What schools do you compete against for student athletes? I, I think, I think we're looking, we don't really compete with the lakes region, right? Cause that price point, that price point is a, is a lot higher. Much farther from where it's, you guys it's, are. It's much further yeah. and you got a board, you got a board. It's very rare that, that a kid who's looking for a day school is going to go to a New Hampton, a St. Paul's, a, a Holderness, things like that. I think it's hard to be a day student at schools like that. You miss out on so much. I, I think we're, I, I don't know that we're really competing. I think we're attracting kids who are looking for a high level of academics who also want to play lacrosse at a high level. Again, I don't think we're really, I know everybody knows Bishop Girton, right? I don't necessarily know we're competing for the same kids there because our price points are so different. They do. They have great academics there as well. But I, I think we're looking for kids that, that are looking for more of like a NESCAC, maybe a Patriot League, Liberty League type experience when they when they get done with Dairyfield. And Bishop Girton's has one of the best coaches all time in New Hampshire, Chris Cameron. I mean, what he's done... I, Absolutely. What done for New Hampshire lacrosse, a lot like yourself, you talk about the guys that have done a lot for Massachusetts, New England lacrosse, but what you and Chris have done for so many individual lacrosse players, student athletes in New Hampshire is uh, tremendous. Yeah. No, I mean, I can't thank Chris enough. He's been a, a tremendous friend. As, as, I mean, yeah, he's been, he was one of the reasons why I, I've, I've learned so much from Chris, Rick Senator, the three of us, they, they brought me along and, and got me involved in Tomahawks when I first got here. And no, I mean, just the number of times that Chris, Chris has just shared information with me, sit down over, over beers and, and drew up plays and just different throughout different ideas, helped me have opportunities to meet Scott Hiller and get involved with the Cannons. Just all kinds of different things where, where Chris and Rick have supported me over the years and helped me grow as a coach. And honestly, what I'm, what I'm trying to give, I, I feel lucky that, that I got to meet them and, and what I'm hoping to be able to do for, for other coaches as they come along here in New Hampshire too, and give back in that way. Yeah. It's one of the reasons I went back to coach. Like, it was just like, I'm here now. I, I need to do something. And I think there's, there's a lot of, I mean, I, I was trying to just be an assistant at a bunch of places and I sent out my, actually, Chris, the first guy I called, cause Chris is New Hampshire. Chris Cameron is, is if you're not talking to him about a coaching job in New Hampshire, like you should be like, that's probably first guy you should call. Uh, and I text a lot of AD, a lot of ADs reach out to Chris because they, they, yeah. they know they're, it's hard to find lacrosse coaches. Right. And so they know that he's got a Rolodex of, of alumni and, kids working within the pro with still within the New Hampshire Tomahawk program that he can, he can give great referrals. And they know, like, they know that Chris is also not going to beat around the bush, right? Like if it's not right. a good fit, he's going to tell you, he doesn't say, and that's why he's so successful with recruiting as well. Yeah. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't BS college coaches, right? Like if a kid's not a good fit, he's not going to, he's not going to try and push a kid to a level that they're, that they're not at. And I think that's why Chris and the New Hampshire Tomahawks are so respected is that Chris has consistently placed kids in, in really, really high levels at the right fit. Yeah, I, I sent my resume even at, out. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, but not only, I think not only high levels, but right, right locations, yes. right? Whether it's division one, two or three. Yeah. I mean, he did that for me when I'm just, the, I was, I sent out my, I remember sending out my resume. He's like, just send your resume. Someone will hire you. 
And I was like, yeah, but like, who? Who is looking? Because I didn't know where to look. And he, he's like, ah, where are you living in? Hooks it. Yeah. All right. These teams. And I sent it out to a bunch of people. And I had ADs come back and be like, we're not looking for the head coach. And I was like, I, I know. They're like, this pays nothing. What, why do you want this? And it's like, oh, no, I, like, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that sort of like need to do it, I think, is something that we were talking about earlier. Like you, you have to have that to be here and do that. Because like we were talking about earlier, the, the geography of, of New Hampshire is maybe people don't know if you don't live here. Most people live in the South. And then it's kind of central. And then once you go past central, it's like it towns are 20 minutes away from each other. It's it's not well, you're easy. Lucky. You're lucky if I'm only traveling 20 minutes to lacrosse game. I, I get to right. one of the best moves for me going up from going up from division three to division two. We don't have to make that trip to Manadnock anymore. I really, really appreciate that. Although we do occasionally have to go to go to Kennett now up in North Conway. But it's no being a lacrosse coach in, in New Hampshire is tough. You you're you're traveling all no regional scheduling around here. It's yeah. Going to Meredith on a on a Tuesday night is not fun. <laughs> we we do that every year apparently. From day one, how many programs were offering lacrosse when you first arrived and how many are offering lacrosse now at the high school level? Yeah, I think I think we've close to double the number of programs. I think it was in the twenties when I first got here, and now we're in the mid forties. We we've come close to cracking fifty. We've had a couple programs sort of come in, and then and then the numbers didn't work out, and so we're 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 close to reaching. We're close to getting over fifty programs in New Hampshire, which would be great. Also helps the we have a lot of talented players up here, but the the All American vote is limited by they they do the percentage of schools. Right in there, and you get the the number of all Americans based off of that. So I think we're stuck at I think we're at eight right now, but I think we had nine at one point. So it'd be great, it'd be great to get back there, get more kids recognized in that way. But yeah, it is growing. But I, I, unfortunately, the the pace of growth and the number of kids playing is not kept up with the number of coaches that we have we have out here right now. But or refs. Well, yeah, we yeah, I mean, problem. yeah, that's that that is a that is a huge problem seen across all sports right now. I mean, not to blame everything on COVID, but we we lost a lot of older refs that decided to kind of hang it up when 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 COVID hit. And now between transportation, we lost a lot of bus drivers too. I mean, that's I know that sounds so New Hampshire right now, right? But like it uh, is, and it's totally true. And it's probably happened in mass too, but like CDL drivers and, and referees are the two biggest issues across all sports right now. And, and the unfortunate part is like, we've got a lot of guys, Billy Ball is our assigner up here. He does a great job. AD at Exeter, been involved in lacrosse. Um, his son, son coaches down in Massachusetts. Um, he does everything he can to get as many refs out to games, but he's got a lot of guys that are maybe soccer refs, basketball refs. And now they're, now they're refereeing three different sports, right? And it may not be a sport that they grew up with. Right. And so the frustrating part is you've got officials that that are maybe calling the game technically the way that it should be. But like they're not used to the pace. They're not used to the level. Maybe you don't call that call in that area there. And so we've had to be really patient as coaches. And, and at the coaching meeting that I run in the beginning of the year, I kind of re- try and remind coaches of that every year that, hey, look, this is what we got. You got to get your guys to adjust to the level that's being called. Otherwise, we're going to run these guys out of the state and then there aren't going to be any games. So, yeah, that is we get again. More reason why we got to get more young kids to come back to the state here. If you don't want to be a coach, be a ref. It's true. They don't. They also don't like talking to the coaches. At one point last season, we were coaching a game, and I was trying to call. I'm louder than than the head coach. I'm louder than Deacon. I'm louder than most people. So I'm yelling the timeouts, 
and the they're not giving us the timeouts. And finally, Deacon yells for a timeout. He gets the ref to look at him. And I just walk up and I'm like, why are you not, are you not, am, am I not allowed to call timeouts? And he walks right past me like I'm a ghost and walks to the head coach and is just like, yeah, your assistant coach, we, we don't talk to them. And I'm like, did I do, I'm like in the, I'm in the conversation. I'm like, did I do something? Like, I'm really sorry. Like, I'm just trying to help. Like, I'm not saying anything against you at all. He didn't even look at me. Like, I was, I was like not alive. And I was yeah. like, oh. Some of the, there was right, a meeting I'll, I'll sometime. One better. We were in the, we were, I, we were in the championship last year and, and I'm on the field, you know, we're, we're up by a goal or two at the end and I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm like telling the guy, I'm like, Hey, I might call a timeout here. I might call a timeout here. Right. And I'm like, and he's not paying attention and all he hears is timeout. Right. And he blows the whistle and I'm like, dude, what, I, what are you doing? And like, I turn around and I chucked my glasses and the poor kid looked right off a kid's helmet blow blows up on the field. Like, but again, there's nothing we can do. It's like that's it's what we got right now, right? And like that was a yeah, Chris yeah. Cameron move. <laughs> <laughs> Chris is Chris is way Chris is Chris is matured. Chris is matured as he as he's gotten there. Yeah, but back in the day, that was a that was a Chris Cameron move. That's for sure. He he had a couple extra pairs of glasses in his pocket. <laughs> Chris, growing up in upstate New York, did you know you always wanted to play lacrosse in college? And how'd you end up at Colgate? Yeah, I, from a very early age, right? But, but this was, again, this is how times have changed, right? I played baseball when I was a kid. I played soccer. I was on the swim team. I did find a passion though. I owe it all to my, my best friend still to this day. He went to Cornell. He's, he's like works in the ER down at Duke now. He's a great swimmer. Bought me a stick for my, my birthday, the summer before second grade, got me to go to summer camp, fell in love with it. Jack, I'll, I'll throw you a name. You might remember Anthony Pavone, who played, he was an all-time great at Liverpool, played at Cornell. Went on. I think he's in. He's at least in the Upstate Lacrosse Hall of Fame now. He was. He was my coach there, and just kind of fell in love with it. Played out in the field for a year, and then every time I, I still run into Anthony every once in a while, and I give him credit because I, I think I was not the fastest person on the field, but he was kind of like, "Oh, Chris, you got really quick hands. Why don't you? Why don't you try playing goalie?" And uh, I think that was a really nice way of him saying that, Chris, you're not. You're not maybe going to be a field player, but I did have a knack for. I. I. Didn't mind getting hit with the ball. And I, I early on, I figured out like, this is kind of fun and I can do this. And it was for me. And that's why I continue to coach today. I think lacrosse lends itself to so many different types of athletes and you can find a home for those kids in right. so many different ways. And you develop confidence. It inspired me to want to become a better athlete. Right. And so, yeah, so that early on, I knew I loved the game of lacrosse and I was in an area that helped to kind of feed that. I got the best coaching. I was able to go to summer camps. I got to be a ball boy in the Carrier Dome. I was there. I got to watch the Gate Brothers and the Powells while they were. So again, really cool experiences. And then as I got into high school, definitely knew I wanted to play my dream school. I wanted to go to Notre Dame. My dad graduated from Notre Dame, played hockey out there and grew up watching Notre Dame on, on Saturdays. Still do to this day. Almost gave me a heart attack last weekend. And then, but everything works out for a reason. Kind of got to the fall of my senior year and Notre Dame and kind of told me they had three or four other goalies they were looking at. I was looking at some other school. I looked at Cortland, looked at Mercyhurst, Ithaca, typical upstate kind of D3 places up there. And then believe it or not, West Genesee, our rival school, right? Everybody knows West Genesee from up there, all kinds of New York state titles, right? Their coach, actually their assistant coach, I was playing indoor and he's kind of like, Chris, where are you going to school next year? And I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't really know yet. Made a couple phone calls, got me a visit down to, down to Colgate. And this is how much the recruiting timeline changed, right? I didn't, I went down there right, I think right before Thanksgiving and I, I laugh about it now. And growing up, I was not, I was not a big party kid or anything like that. I got to Colgate and 
they took me out in Vegas and my eyes were open. I was like, holy cow. And I kind of walked away a little uneasy. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I fit in here, right? And about February of my senior year, I'm still kind of deciding what's going on. Hobart had come kind of talk to Hobart a little bit. And my grandfather sat me down at the kitchen table. He's like, look, Chris, Colgate's an amazing school. You're going to find your people. You really should think about taking advantage of this opportunity. Went down there with my mom, took another visit. Like I said, late February, beautiful day on the campus. I think kids were out on the quad. It was one of those rare summer or winter days in upstate New York where the sun was shining, everybody was out. It was like 50 degrees in February and kind of fell in love with the campus. I remember I literally walked into the coach's office that day in February. I was like, hey, where do I sign? Right. And the guy was like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, yeah, I just can't believe that's that's how much recruiting has changed. Right. Senior year, I had no idea where I was going, was able to commit in February. And then the spring, spring, like April of my senior year, Notre Dame and Hobart still called me at that point. How does that, that never happens now. Like you would never find that timeline. Right. And so, yeah, but things worked out great. I mean, it was, it was a wonderful experience for four years there. Who was your coach at the time at Colgate? Dan Whalen, who that was the connection. That was the connection to West Genesee, right? He was a West Genesee guy, played at Hobart. And so the West Genesee assistant coach called him up, said, Hey, you really need to take a look at this guy. He was there and George Harris, who went on, he, he coached at Wittenberg, he was at Harvard. I had a couple, it was at Cornell. And now he's coaching down in Florida. He was a Liverpool grad. Um, and again, so look, that's what I love about lacrosse, small world, right? Like all right. the, today I, I go anywhere and I can still meet people that I have connections with. Yeah. Dan, Dan was great and, and, and loved having, loved having those guys as my coaches over the years there. I mean, I'm wearing a Scotland lacrosse hat. Do you know why? I was, I was going to say something. I was, I saw, I saw that. I really, I you know why, right? Appreciate that. I, good. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're doing it. Maddie, Maddie bags. Yeah. We're boys. We, we, it's, it's funny. Cause like Chris and I run in the same circle, but not really. <laughs> it's like a weird, New Hampshire is weird. Cause like everybody knows every, like, obviously we know who each other are, but our Kyle, like friend Kyle, bases. Kyle, can I, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Who runs in your space? Does anyone run in your space? Well, I'm not running anywhere right now. Yeah, that's true. So it's all good. No, I, I do think it's it's interesting, right? Like there's been pickup and like I've I've seen you pick up for 20 years. I'll just like show up and be like, oh, what's up? And you're like, what's up? I think, I think uh, but time, I remember yeah. we were still doing the, uh, what was the one out in? Uh, oh, Western summer. Mass. Yeah. Well, yeah. Matt, was that the Maddie Domain tournament? Maddie Domain. Yeah. Right. Well, we did that one for a long time. And then I was thinking of the one during the summer that used to benefit Metro Lacrosse, the one out on the, the oh. sequels there. What what was that called? Yeah. Um, they don't do it anymore, right? No. It was a yeah. general farm out there. Yeah. Uh, trying to remember, trying to remember that. But yeah, I remember we used to play against each other there. You know um, who started that tournament at Jed Raymond's farm? Were you, were you involved in that? I started that with Steve Shear. That was there. Yep. And one year it poured, it poured and it poured. We couldn't get on the fields. We had to, we had to cancel the tournament. And I got an ankle. I got an ankle that's still, still never fully healed from a rolled ankle on that, that polo ground a couple of times there. That, thing, wow. that, that was a fun tournament though. Yeah, it was. It was a great yeah. tournament. And then, then we, we said, we, we can't, we can't go through this again. We I was had, on a, I was on a team that tournament and we had no unis. So we went to TJ Maxx and we bought knockoff Michael Jordan jerseys. Is that right? We all wore Michael Jordan jerseys. That's great. And we, we, we were not that great. We played the Mega Man and they crushed you. You were probably on the team. Sorry. Yeah. You were on that team, right? Like I remember playing in that game and the guy, a guy who runs it. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Barant. Barant. 
Basmajian. Yeah. He yes. he looks at me as I run past the bench. He's like, Who are you? And I was like, I I'm just playing on the team. It was like half Emerson kids. I was coaching Emerson at the time. And he's just like, I don't know who you are. I, he's like yelling at me. I'm like, oh, okay, man. Sorry. Like, sorry, you're beating us twenty to two. Like you probably you probably don't you probably don't remember, but you turn to me at one point and you go, Hey, nice cannons helmet. Where'd you get that? eBay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's because I knew who you were. I did know who you were. I was just joking, but I was like, I I'll talk a little bit. I was not lie. Those were fun times. Those were fun times. But yeah, no, thank you for wearing the Scotland hat there. Yeah. So Matty Bags, again, small world, right? Like, um, he's a Dairyfield graduate. Yep. Graduated in ninety seven. We met he came back and we met around two thousand ten. And then he had gotten me uh opportunity to coach Team England and brought me along, got to coach with them, did the did the Europeans and the world games with them, got invited to to coach Team Germany. My entire family's from Team German or from Germany, and I was like, Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Coach with them. And then now he's found a nice home with Scotland and um still still riding along with him. It's been it's been awesome. We had a we last summer was a blast, man. San Diego was it was yeah. pretty it was really good. Yeah, what a great location for the World Games. San Diego State, weather was fantastic. No bugs. Just everything about San Diego, the venue, competition. Jack, I mean, you you saw the people out. I couldn't believe the number of people walking around in sweatshirts complaining about Cole. I was like, dude, this is fantastic. Like, come to New Hampshire, man. Are you kidding me? This was, you couldn't ask for better weather out there. It was awesome. It was cool in the morning, 55, 60 degrees in the morning. Then it would get up to like 75, 80 and then it would cool down again at night. It was perfect sleeping weather. You wake up and you get outside, you walk around, you warm up. It was, I tell you, if, when and if I retire, I'm, uh, I'm heading to San Diego. You hit the beach at all? Did you get out to the beach? I didn't. No. He's got, got his one. own beach in Westerly. He don't need no West Coast beach. He's right. fine. He's right. good. He's, he's, he's pumped all the kids are back in school. Now he can just go walk the beach. Yeah. He's best self. People were swimming yesterday in October. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll probably, I'll probably, I shouldn't say he's the rival, but I tell you, if I get the chance to move out to Port, I don't make enough money to live in Portsmouth right now, but I, I let Seacoast live in, man. Someday, if I can retire, it's nice out there. It's, it's pretty great. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's one of the most underrated parts of um, New Hampshire. I, I want to talk a little bit more about Tomahawks because one of the things I've seen now is everything trickles down in, in lacrosse for the levels. So when I started coaching Hopkinton three years ago, we had two kids on Tomahawks. And now we have, I think it's, I think we're up to six or seven and it's, and the the kids ask me and they're like, should I play club? I'm like, do you want to play in college? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, then you kind of have to. And they're like, oh, really? And I was like, well, you don't have to, you could go to, go to showcases. You could do that. It's a little less money to do that. But in terms of, if you didn't have me as your coach with connections, like you, you got to do it. Like it's, it's a, it's a part of your development and the way that all the club teams in New Hampshire and, and even Massachusetts are catering to these kids that are two, three sport athletes is helping. I think there's still a couple places where that's not going on, but I do know that in New Hampshire it is, and it has kind of become ubiquitous to play club lacrosse and be recruited at the college level. I I don't think, I think we have a commit list on, on lastjournal.com and going through the commit list, we have the club team next to it. I don't remember the last time we had a list and there wasn't a kid with a club team. It's getting harder and harder to do that. I, I think I am able to pick up the phone as a high school coach and, and call college coaches, but I I, um, I think it has a lot to do with my connections with the Tomahawks, right? And and the coaches know that 
I'm not going to sell them on a kid. They know that my eye has been trained to see, can they play at a high level, right? Whereas I think, unfortunately, for a lot of high school coaches, right, like they, college coaches want to know, like, what, yes, great. He's, he, he's a good player during the high school season, but when he goes up against the elite level competition, or, or is he going up against elite level competition, right. right? Playing the kids from Philly, is he playing Baltimore kids, is he playing upstate New York, Long Island, right? And if he's not, it, it's hard, it's getting harder and harder. And I think even, you said it, even the kids that are looking to maybe even stay local and play at Plymouth State, Keene, SNU, St. Anselm, where, I mean, St. Anselm, SNU, they're going to be competing for D2 national titles with, with the way things have, have shaken out. They're recruiting nationally now too, right? So it, it is harder for those kids who are not playing a club schedule to get seen. Not impossible, but but it is getting much harder and harder. Yeah. Chris, talk a little bit about the coaches you had at the youth level, high school level, that were influential in you as a player and becoming a coach. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, Jack, I'm, I, it's, it's great. You asked that question. I, I think I, what I try and tell all of my coaches here is like, think, think back to when you were growing up, right. And, and what are the things that you took away that were great from your coaches? And then what are the things that like you think back on now and you're like, oh yeah, that, that did not help me. Right. And, and take, throw those things away and take the good things from those other coaches and try and incorporate that into your style. Right. Um, I also tell my coaches, right, you, you sort of need to think of yourself as a classroom teacher, right? How do you find like the one size fits all model the day of like, hey, do this because I said so. That doesn't work anymore, right? You've got to find what inspires each kid. What's going to get them to play their best? I mean, I guess you don't have to do that. But like if you want to build a program, I think that's what you got to do. You got to find that one spark that's going to motivate those kids to get them, right? Build again, going back to building that connection, right? And for me, I had a guy, Dan Spillett. Who again? Not, it's funny how like everything goes back to West Genesee, right? He he was a West Genesee grad who then his son Brandon played at Liverpool. Brandon went on; he had a great career at Lemoyne. Played for the played for Rochester in the MLL for a little while. Played, I think he played somewhere indoors as well. Dan was a, a, a tremendous influence on my life. He was the guy who kind of first saw that spark in me and took an interest in me and said, "Hey, you know what? Maybe this kid isn't the best athlete right now, right? But like." inspired me to want to do more. Right. And that's what I try, especially with kids at Dairyfield. Right. I, I'm still recruiting kids out of the hallway that maybe have never picked up a stick before or don't consider themselves a, a competitive athlete. Right. And I try and find a way to to get them motivated to do that. And again, I, I owe a lot to Dan. Dan passed away way too early from cancer. And every year at our banquet, I keep a, a remembrance alive. He he had a sort of benediction before uh, before all of our meals at at, at Liverpool, and, and I can t- keep that tradition alive today because of that. So thanks for asking that question, Jack. Because it, it, I mean, I think everybody has some some story like that of a of an adult or a coach who took interest in them when they were, when they were younger and inspired them to be better. Right? Anthony Pavone was another one that that kind of did that for me as well. There, that's interesting. I played football, hockey, and lacrosse in high school. And my football coach was a yeller and screamer. I don't even know if he knew my name. I, I, there was no communication. It was like line up, block, tackle, get your yeah. ass kicked. It was a different time than that. Yeah. And then, and, but I, the thing that I, me as a coach, I always wanted to be the coach that I never had. Yes. Yeah. So, like, and I always said, you know, my dad died a, a young man. So I, I always wanted to be the dad that I never had. And one of the things I learned from my lacrosse coach was communication. He was a great communicator, never played lacrosse, played basketball at UNC, was a wonderful guy. But he put my his arm around me and say, hey, Jack, you're, you're a good player, but you know what? 
you can do better. You can do better. I, I, I believe in you and, and this and that instead of yelling and screaming, what are you making that pass for? What are you doing that for? And this and that and the other thing. And, and I really learned a lot from him and how important communication is. And your communication with every single player is different. To your point, more so today, I would imagine, oh, than before. Delivery, everything. Like, it's so, and I'm sure, Jay, Kyle, you probably do too, when you are talking to a kid about recruiting, right? In your head, you may, this kid may be giving you a list of like all these dream D1 schools, oh, right? Yeah. And there is no way that this kid can play there, right? But how you deliver that to that kid, right, is just as important as, as the, the information you're giving them, right? You, you might say, hey, look, all right, let's keep that school on the list, right? But let's have some other schools that we're looking at. What do you need to, okay, look at their roster right now, right? What do you see? Size, height. Those are things you can't control, right? But what in your game right now do you have to change? So there's ways... So much again to go back being a teacher, right? So much of it comes back to how you approach that kid in communication and the tone and everything that you deliver with. I, I hate to admit it, but I, I dropped baseball because of that reason. I had a little league coach that I had to this day, I have no idea what he was doing being a little league coach. He was 40 something years old. He was a yeller and screamer. All he would do is tell me what I was doing wrong. He, I, I mean, at times he almost made me cry as a kid. And I was just like, I never got better as a baseball player because like, couldn't figure out like, why, why do you enjoy this? Like, like, why are you doing this? So, and that's, again, to your point, Jack, I, I wanted to be the coach that I, I didn't have in, the, in those. It, it was funny. I gave up baseball too. I played baseball. I was a pretty good catcher, but I get up to the plate and I was petrified because if I struck out, I knew the coach was going to yell at me. And one time I struck out and I started crying, <laughs> going up to the bench. All right, go ahead. And he still yelled at me for striking out. I go, I've had enough of this. I'm moving on. Well, I, I knew my career was all the first time I saw a curveball. I remember it was summer league and, and the ball's coming right at me and I like duck out of the way and it drops right in for a strike. And the umpire looks over and he goes ball and he said he saved me. But like at that point, I was like, all right, I, I know this, this probably is not, this probably is not my sport, but you know, yeah. So I mean, it's I, again, I can't, I can't thank lacrosse enough for giving me all the opportunities I've had over the years, especially with the rock hoppers. <laughs> was great, man. That was that was tragic that that didn't continue, man. That, and I, Jack, I can't thank you enough for that. I mean, the 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 year that we did get to win the championship, and I remember you and Ryan Hoffmeister coming up to me right before one of the games and be like, "Hey, you're starting tonight." <laughs> like, wait, what? And then we got to go, and it was against my brother. We ended up winning an epic one goal game. It was it was one of the high. I, I will tell you, Jay, it was one of the highlights of my career getting an opportunity to do that. Yeah, and going, then going to Kentucky and getting to play in the championship and do it. Our team did so well that I actually got some minutes in that game. Got to be on the field to celebrate with the guys. Thank you again for that. That was a really cool thing, and I'm just I'm sad that that didn't didn't last for other guys because it was a really neat experience. Yeah, we had a lot of fun, and and what people don't realize is we were very talented. We had oh. a lot of very good, uh, a lot of good players on that team, including yourself. And you came up big in that game. Mike Stone was one of the great uh, MLL players. Middlebury, the the twin brothers there. There's the, the, the last uh, name. Gosnies. Gosnies yeah. played on that team. They were Lehigh, fantastic players, and just a great group of guys and a wonderful experience for sure. We were drawing. We were drawing a pretty good home crowd too. Like they were. They were. They were pretty good crowds showing up to those games. Yeah, need a little more time. But I, I didn't. The one thing I didn't like about the Rock Hoppers, I had to put on a coat and tie for the games. I, I, <laughs> That's tough to coach in a coat and tie, I'll tell you. I think one of the most underrated parts of getting kids from other sports to try lacrosse is when they actually pin out and they're they're surprised 
And you, you are also surprised, but you can't be surprised. You have to be like, oh yeah, no, I knew. Like, I think that's one of the best feelings ever is just recruiting a kid that was just like, yeah, I don't know. I want to try it. I'm like, you're going to love it. Let's go. I mean, all the other, like, I'm notorious. If I, if I'm in the, if I get to prep that we have practice in the gym in Hopkinton, if I'm there early and the track team is there, he moves the track team. So I won't talk to the track kids. He yeah. doesn't want, he doesn't want it. Like, like yeah. no one wants to lose kids to, to the lacrosse team. And we, we de- had a ton of kids defect. Our goalie last year never played lacrosse. Second team all state. Like that's, it's the, it's one of the best. I couldn't believe it. Like I did, I looked at the team. I was like, they don't know. And that's, that's not, has nothing to do with us. It's them. And I think that's kind of one of the things that makes you successful and, and well respected as a coach uh, anywhere is development. And I, I know that that's something that you guys specialize in. You have amazing assistants that have come through your program in and out. I know a bunch of them. There's a standard there that has to be held. And that's one of the reasons you guys keep getting back to championships. I, I think like having that standard and making it, making it fun. I know it sounds dumb. Got it. People are, people are listening to that and they're just like, no, no one can. Yeah, whatever. Okay. I'm like, we feed them the vegetables early. We're doing the vegetable drills early. And then we have West Jenny. Then we have sevens. Then we have like the fun stuff comes at the end. And I think that's kind of one of the ways that you can help build a program is make it fun. Yes. Like make everything fun and you're going to have so much more success than the coach that knows all this stuff, but all he does is scream and run triangles on offense and runs a crease slide. A lot of coaches in New Hampshire are like that. And I got to tell you, as a coach, like zero arrogance in this statement, those are the guys that are the easiest to beat because they run one thing and they don't change. Like you have to be adaptable and your team has to like playing for you to have success. And I think that carries everywhere. I know it's a very small scale in New Hampshire, the smallest of scales, some might say, but I do think that's the one thing I've learned in the last three years. Like that's the most important thing. It's like, make it fun, have a plan and have a plan B and a C. And you're like so ahead of the game. If you don't, if you don't have that, you're not ready to coach at the high school level anywhere. In my opinion, I think that's one of the adaptability and ability to inspire kids to want to be better is the most important trait you can have as a coach at any level. Chris, I have one more question for you before we go. What recommendations would you make one or two recommendations to a high school player going through the recruiting process? Cause you have a lot of experience with the Tomahawks and dairy field. What, what would you say to those, those athletes today? Well, the, the first thing I tell all my kids when they're younger is Right in, in that moment, whether it's middle school, whether it's early on freshman, sophomore year, the best thing they can be doing is, is improving their athleticism, right? Getting in the gym, working on their foot speed, all those things, right? College coaches always say, Hey, I want multi-sport athletes. What they really mean is they want really good athletes, right? They want you to have the ability to play multiple sports. A lot of, a lot of parents get, get caught up in that. They're like, Oh yeah, I want my kid playing soccer and basketball and lacrosse. That's going to make him more recruitable. It's not that they're playing three sports. It's that they're a good enough athlete to be a varsity player on all three sports, right? And if you're not good enough to be a starter and varsity athlete on all three sports, you're actually, and I hate to say this, you're probably better off specializing in lacrosse, right? Because it's going to give you more reps and all those things. So I tell all my kids, like, and that's, that's what's actually helped us to continue to get back to championships and compete for championships every year is we work on our athletic for a small school. 
we have a great weight, we have a great weight room. We're trying to get our kids before that. I always had my kids, I pushed them to go see outside training specialists, right? And, and work on their footwork, their speed, their strength, those things. Um, and then in terms and the other advice, you can never do enough in the classroom, right? The more, the more high level classes you take, the more you achieve in the classroom, the easier it's going to be for me to pick up that phone call and make calls to coaches, right? You're, you're, you're so many more doors are open. So th those are things that you, you have control over. And then in that point, the, the other thing that's on the start, start to do your homework. There's nothing worse than when a kid comes to me and say, hey, I want to play in college. And then I sit there and say, do you want a small school? Do you want a big school? Do you want to be rural? Do you want to stay in New England? Do you want to be, and the kid has no idea, right? So if you're going to pay all that money to do travel programs, right? Take advantage of that. When you're in those tournaments, when you're going to Delaware, when you're going to Philly, when you're going to Baltimore places, check out some campuses while you're there. See if, see if it, it feels like home, right? Maybe you're not going to be there, but you're like, yeah, that I like the way that, that, that campus felt. Right. And that gives you a better idea. Right. And then I, I, I will throw admit, I had no clue what I wanted to do going into going into Colgate. Right. And so if they can have some sort of clue, like, Hey, I'm more of a math science guy, or I'm thinking I might be a history poli side person, right. That can help too. Or if you really don't know, Hey, that's great. We'll, we'll start looking at liberal arts schools. Right. I don't know in this day and age of $80,000 tuitions that you can afford to do that, but like still there's plenty of good schools out there. Um, I don't know. Those, those would be, I mean, Jack, Kyle, you guys got anything different that you tell kids? You do it. No, I think the academic piece is so important because it, it just separates yourself from, from so many other players. If you're, you know, a great lacrosse player, it doesn't mean you can get into Virginia or Hopkins or an Ivy League or a NESCAC or it just it divides you from the rest of the competition. I, I really, truly uh, believe that. We're still a small sport, but especially with the way it's grown. There's kids coming from the West Coast, down South, all over the Seoul. The con like from when we all grew up, there's way more kids playing now, right? There's way more competition. I mean, Kyle, you were even saying your kids on your team, right? That aren't playing top. They're like, oh, do I have to play club? Kind of because like the, the competition is growing. There's just, there's so few spots. D3 is growing, but you know, at the D1, D2 level, it hasn't kept pace in college. Hopefully we do get some more opportunities. Well, if if you're a college coach today, you, you there's no such thing as taking a chance on a kid, really. Okay. So if he's a good academic kid, yeah, you'll take a chance on him because it's not going to be problems. He's going to do well, and and he'll he'll fill a roster spot, right? If a kid isn't good in the classroom, then you, you take a chance on him. The, the guy today, he might lose his job if he has four or five of those guys, right? Right. So, anyways, yeah. unfortunately, I think I think that's going to have to do it for us. We got to jump on and and move on. But uh, Chris, thanks for coming on, man, and really appreciate it. I, I'm sure I'll see you like in the next few weeks somewhere. As soon as yeah, I start moving around again. Uh, a Scotland, Scotland shout out there. Yeah, for sure. Check out Scotland. I made this hat because they didn't have I it. it. I love it. I made it and sent him a picture. He's like, how'd you do that? I was like, it's the internet, man. You can do anything. But yeah, we just want to thank you again for coming on. Great to have you on and talk about Dairyfield Tomahawks and your coaching and playing group. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Keep spreading the news. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Chris. Have a good one, guys. You as well. And thanks again for listening to the Lacrosse Journals, Chasing the Gold Podcast. For Jack Butelli, I'm Kyle Deming. See you next time.